Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Now it's time for us to do some dwelling in the word, or at least for me to set you up for that. And if you have no idea what that is, no worries. When we're in these microchurch weeks, we do something called dwelling in the word in the microchurches where the microchurches talk about a particular text together. And so my job for the next few minutes here is to set that discussion up. And uh, if you're just joining us for the first time this week, we've been in this conversation called Real Talk about relationships. And those of you who've been listening to this conversation uh, for the past few weeks, hopefully it's been life-giving to you. Hopefully uh, it's uh, had some invitation to it to re-engage in relationship. Um, Maybe it has had some really hard challenge to it. I know it has for me. Part of the reason we're having this conversation about how to navigate tension in uh, relationships, whether it's the closest one, or with your friends or with your community is one relationship is such a huge value. Maybe the most important value to us at North city. We're a very relationally focused bunch. Uh, but in addition to that, one of the things that the pandemic has done putting us in isolation a lot has, uh, uh, introduce a reality where we're sort of out of practice with relationships. One of the things I said early on was that relationships are not possessions that we have. They're practices that we practice into, that we live into, and we're a little out of practice because of the circumstances around us. So we thought it was a perfect occasion for us to jump back into a deeper understanding of what relationships are in our life. Even deeper than that, like a deep theology or philosophy of relationship? What are we actually doing in relationship? How do we actually live into these? And the past few weeks of conversation have just been really awesome uh, uh, to, to kind of reinvigorate our focus on relationship with the most deepest relationships we have with a spouse or a deep friend or uh, the people that we're called to love and serve when we say we're loving our neighbors in the way of Jesus. As a kind of compass for what we mean by relationship, um, I introduced the very first week this uh, resource from the 80s uh, psychologist power couple, Jack and Judith Ballswick, from this resource called The Family, but it's much more broad than The Family itself. It's kind of a theology of relationships. And uh, they introduced the concept of covenant, which is not their concept. It's a biblical concept for relationship in the Old and the New Testament. And it's really the foundation of how God chooses to be in relationship with us. And our concept of relationship flows completely out of that. So I'm going to put this up on the screen. And they said there's four primary elements, if you remember these. Covenant itself, so the initial commitment. You can't have a relationship without some sort of commitment, some sort of giving yourself vulnerably uh, to someone else. And uh, what's so unique about Christian relationships is our God gives unconditionally, gives himself unconditionally and perpetually, continues to give himself to covenants, even with when the other people in the relationship aren't holding up their end of the bargain, if you will, or their end of the relationship. When they're running away, God draws near. 
Um, so that's where it starts with the initial covenant. Then it moves into a atmosphere or foundation of grace, as opposed to an atmosphere or foundation of fear, shame, or blame or law is the way that the new Testament talks about it out of that reality. And that we're going to zero in on that today in our text flows this, uh, relationship of empowerment, as opposed to a relationship of control. When you're scared or fearful of the other person, your body wants to control the other person. But when you're in an atmosphere of unconditional love in relationship, when you're moving towards the other compelled by God's love, then there's this movement to mutually submit, mutually empower one another. And Christian Ann talked about that two, three weeks ago, how in our most significant relationships, they should be defined by that mutual submission, that empowerment of others trying to create more power in the other rather than trying to get power from that relationship somehow, which naturally moves us into deeper degrees of intimacy. And Adobe so beautifully talked about this last week. If you didn't listen to the sermon, highly recommend it. She talked about this reality of intimacy being about being known as a human and knowing others and how that takes communication and how it takes hard work and how it develops over time in our relationship with God and each other. So uh, that's the journey we've been on today. I'm kind of going back to the the beginning and we're going to talk about what it actually looks like. What does it mean for us as Christians, but just as human beings to have this basis, this foundation, this atmosphere of grace in our lives. So let's do that and let's do it. Uh, by jumping right into the text that I have to offer for this discussion today. And so let me set you up for dwelling in the word in your uh, micro churches or just reflection. How we do this is we read the text. And as we're reading the te- text, we're asking these questions. What's standing out to us? Uh, what questions do we have that come up? We're not afraid of questions. So what questions do we have? And then what do we think the Holy Spirit might be saying to us? And we ask, ask these questions very intentionally because we feel like by reading scripture together, the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. So the text that I've selected today is a text from the Apostle Paul, who's a later teacher after Jesus dies and is resurrected, who himself has this amazing turnaround in his life, who's experienced this covenantal, unconditional love from God. And if you were to sum up um, his teaching, and it's a majority of the New Testament, it is, we have been given grace by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's about to give us here in Ephesians 2, I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. He's about to give us the high point, if you will, or a, a really quick summation of the beauty of his message of grace that he's been trying to share about who Jesus is in the Jesus story. So let's jump in there asking the questions, what's standing out to us, what questions do we have, and what might the Holy Spirit be saying to us. I'll share a few thoughts afterwards, but then uh, hopefully it'll just set you up for more discussion in your groups. Verse four says, but now let me stop there and say what the but is about. (laughs) Uh, From verses one through three, Paul is talking about the life that people used to have before meeting Jesus. And he characterize it as just being stuck in brokenness, in sin, in rebellion, in anger, in angst. And you can almost hear Paul say, saying this from his own experience, being someone who 
actively sought out and murdered Christians before Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and totally changed his life out of the blue, unexpected, undeserved. Um, And he characterizes that as, as being dead, as being broken. And then he says this about what God does, uh, even despite our brokenness says, but God is so rich in mercy, so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. You can even maybe even see tears in Paul's eyes as he reads this about his own story. Loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only, only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of, our, of the increasing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he's done for us who are united with Jesus. Then he says this in verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this, I would add, at all. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. He planned for us long ago. What a beautiful passage, right? Man, I hope something just really grabbed your heart in that. And maybe you can bring it to your discussion in your micro church. Or if you want to share with that with us, if you're just watching online, you can put it in the comments. Man, what a beautiful passage. I've returned to this passage several times. And I think I've returned to it because one of the realizations I've had in this conversation about real talk and relationships is that, uh, man, more often than not, my understanding of who I am and my posture towards a relationship is not based in this amazing truth that Paul tells here. It's not to say it's not possible, but Paul is giving us a picture of what's possible, what's true, what we can believe in as Christians, as the basis of our lives, as the basis of how we look at ourselves and see our identity and the basis of how we interact and move in love towards other people. So I'm looking at this passage and I'm realizing that Paul is talking about moving from death and brokenness and um, tension in relationship with others and ourselves to this amazing new life that we have in God. And we have to ask the question, what makes the difference in that transformation? What makes the difference maybe uh, in those two different realities that we can choose to live in, whether it's in sin and brokenness and separation from God and other people, or in loving connection and esteem in relationship with God, being united with Christ, as he says, what's the difference between stepping into those two different realities? And Paul's, of course, short answer is Jesus. Uh, the wonderful thing about Jesus is, is God, Jesus is God's incarnation coming in the flesh, coming to us, pursuing us in relationship. Jesus is an extension of that 
unconditional love towards his people he created. John 3.16, everybody knows it. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, not to condemn the world, but to heal it through relationship. God moves towards us and he calls that story. He names that story with one word, grace. Now, when we talk about grace, I feel like uh, it's a little bit like talking about love. Like it's hard to define because it's so ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Everybody uses the word grace. At least oh, a lot of Christians use the words grace, but I'm not sure we're all on the same page with that. I'm not sure we have to be on the same page, but I think it just gets to be such a big meaning that it doesn't have resonance in our everyday life. So let's start with the question, what does Paul mean by grace. Now that's like a thousand sermons that I could preach, but maybe I can give us a little insight with a few minutes we have left to set you up for discussion. So what does Paul mean by grace and what can that, uh, what does that, how can that shape what we mean by grace and help us understand what it means to have an atmosphere or foundation of grace in our relationships with others? You know, uh, I was thinking about this and thinking about what I've learned about the word grace and how Paul used that. And a story came to mind for me. Uh, This past Christmas was a weird one because the the virus and stuff. So we didn't get to be around as many family members and that sort of thing. But we still got to have Christmas with our immediate family and a small other group of extended family. Um, But what was so memorable about this Christmas is uh, Daniel, my two and a half year old now, who was two at the time was just at the right age where the years pre- previous, he didn't really uh, comprehend or anticipate what Christmas is about. So he was still had this genuine, pure curiosity about what these packages under the tree were. And he, you could see him before Christmas came along struggling to understand what exactly was going to happen. But then Christmas morning came and we started to open those packages under the tree. And oh my goodness, I will never forget the just pure unfiltered joy of opening those gifts because he had no expectation of what was to come. He, for any, he, he didn't think he deserved anything, but all of a sudden for some arbitrary reason on Christmas morning, December 25th, he got to open up all these cool toys from all this different people. And the most amazing thing happened that I'll never forget. And I think I have some video of it. Um, he would just go around. Didn't matter. doesn't matter who was opening the gift. It was either him or his sister or one of his cousins was opening a gift. He would just go and watch and he would say something like Spider-Man Legos. That's amazing. And then he would come up to me. I'd be opening like socks or something like that. He would come up and he would say socks. That's amazing. And it was just awesome to witness this little human being who had no expectation of gift of receiving. He uh, had no inclination that he deserved any of what was getting given. He had no inclination that any of us in the room deserved what was being given. And he had just this pure response of joy to this like ridiculous abundance and generosity that was unfolding in front of him. Now, sadly, all of us have pretty much lost that, right? Unless it's really, truly a surprise. Many of us have built up expectation and we're like, oh, our spouse better, better do their homework this year to give a good gift. And I think I dwelled on that story because really what Paul is trying to communicate in the word grace is gift. And not just gift as we understand it, but 
Our best definition for grace often is unmerited favor or unearned favor, or maybe we could say an unexpected gift, an unanticipated gift, a gift that we did not deserve. And what he's encouraging us to do as Christians in relationship is to have an atmosphere of such abundant love that our relationship towards one another is that of unexpected gift giving, if you will. The word uh, the Greek word for grace is actually charis, which just means gift. And uh, Paul is actually drawing on this uh, Greco-Roman idea of gift as a carryover from Old Testament terms of God's grace, his gift giving, his favor. And we say unmerited favor. It's almost like, uh, have you ever had an occurrence in your life? I've never uh, had the privilege of like hanging out with a celebrity or something like that, or a super important person. But there's been moments at like work conferences where like someone has written a book and I've, I've read a lot of their stuff. And then all of a sudden someone knows someone and I'm sitting across the table and grabbing a beer or out to lunch with that person, I just feel like totally undeserving to be in that person's presence. That's charis. That's gift giving. That's unmerited favor. When you it, Just like imagine if your favorite celebrity or something was like, hey, let's hang out for the day. That is what grace means. It's not only when we think of gifts in the Western culture, we think of Christmas and we think of transactional. We think of like, oh, I like this book, so I'm going to give it to you. Here's this object. You can just have it. And there isn't, sometimes there's relationality involved into it, but sometimes it's just transactional. Here, have this. I want this for you. I'm going to give this money to this charity. I'm not really going to do anything. Our gift giving in the Western society is often transactional. It was not that way at all in the context of these scriptures. It was highly relational. There's whole catalogs in Greek, uh, in, in Greek writing about how to be strategic with your gift giving. It was all about social status. It was all about gaining your own social status, which is precisely what's so ridiculous about God's gift of grace. That's why in this text it talks about uh, uh, Jesus, we are, are raised with Christ to the right hand of the Father. That's why he talks about his generosity and kindness. Paul is basically saying, I was basically killing these other Christians, and now I'm seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Grace is about an atmosphere of unconditional love giving us status in relationship. We have the posture of like being in this uh, ridiculously wealthy person's entourage for no reason, for no reason at all. That's what grace means for us. So as we think about this more, I would just want you to ask the question, what does that look like in relationship for you? I think I got to think about this and think about what the flip side of grace is often, because I don't often live like I'm living in that unexpected, unmerited favor. It's important to think about the flip side of grace. I mentioned this earlier, but oftentimes the flip side of grace or the shadow side of the anti-grace is shame and blame. And if I'm just completely honest with you, Oftentimes, my knee-jerk reaction in relationships sometimes is shame and blame of others, particularly when tension comes up instead of grace and forgiveness. I think it's important to realize that when that's coming up in our lives, we're operating out of uh, understanding of God and in the world that love is a scarce resource. Shame and blame come into our lives when we think love is a scarce resource, and that's 
probably because or very likely because not necessarily the circumstance at hand, but because of how we've been hurt in the past or how we haven't fully healed in the past. We're all bringing bits of brokenness in relationship with other people. And we have, there's parts of ourselves that have these strong reactions to not being hurt again because we live with glasses on that perceive everyone's love towards us as a competition is contractual or conditional. And one of the beauty of living into the presence of God, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, is that we are invited to rethink who we are fundamentally and to rethink the atmosphere that we walk into by the power of the Spirit. To live a life with God is to live in relationship with a God who's abundant in love, who's unconditional in love, who's given us grace. And when we live into that, we have the power by the Holy Spirit to extend ridiculous, abundant grace where people don't deserve it in our lives. And it's actually that act that will transform the world. That's what Jesus uh, invites us into, to have an atmosphere of grace in our relationships. So how do we do this? Real quickly, just real fast with you. Um, one application you might think of the best way to practice grace in this unconditional, undebent, uh, uh, abundant love with others is through the act of forgiveness. When you think about the word forgiveness, it is forgive or giving up something. And forgiveness is essentially just giving up the power of punishment or retaliation. In our lives, uh, when someone hurts and is in tension with us, to have an atmosphere, a foundation of abundant love, unexpected gift giving is to forego, uh, forgive the power to punish. And shame and blame in our lives towards ourselves and towards others is the power to punish and forgive. You are this or you did this. And the hardest part about our faith is to live in the trust and belief that choosing grace over choosing retaliation is the way to transform our hearts and heal the world. What we're hoping for in this sermon series is to move from hurting behaviors in our relationships to helping behaviors. And how to move from hurting to helping behaviors, and please listen to my humility as I say this, that I don't always get this right and I'm trying to get better at this, is to choose forgiveness instead of shame or blame. So that's where I'll leave it uh, for you all in discussion. What does this look like for you? What does grace look like in your relationships? How is it hard? What questions do you have? How do you feel like the Holy Spirit is inviting you deeper into grace in your life? Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you. And may he give you the courage to respond. Amen.